Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning, Restoration Church. How are you guys doing today? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5. Uh, We're going to be having the uh, verses on the screen as well, but we're going to be looking today at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And if this is your first time here at Restoration, I just want to say welcome. Uh, We're so glad that you are here. Uh, Just like Daniel said, hey, this is a place where uh, you're welcome, a place where you can belong here at Restoration Church and be part of uh, the Restoration Church family. Also, if you're tuning in online, I want to say welcome to Restoration Church as well. If this is your very first time, I also want to say hello to some of our Restoration Church family that we haven't seen in a while. Uh, we miss you guys. We love you. And we care uh, very deeply about you guys, and hopefully we can see you guys very, very soon. Uh, but I'm, like I said, I'm really excited to be here with you today. Uh, if you're new here to Restoration Church, um, we are actually working our way through the Gospel of Mark section by section, kind of verse by verse style here. That's kind of how we do things here at Restoration Church. And just so you know, as you guys read ahead, which I encourage you, um, not next week because it's Easter, but the week after, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, just so you know, give you a little heads up of where we're headed in two weeks as you guys prep and, and, and use that for your devotional life. Um, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Let me give you some context real quick before we kind of jump into it. Uh, Jesus um, was teaching off the shore on a boat in parables to a bunch of people. Uh, then him and the disciples, they get into a boat and they go across to the other side of the lake. And, and so, you know, we, we kind of heard about what happened last week where the there was a bunch of, there was a storm. Disciples are freaking out, and Jesus is like, chill, guys, I'm with you. Uh, and we saw Jesus' authority over nature and lordship over nature there, uh, and was really encouraging to us that Jesus um, uh, is Lord over our difficulties, right? And our focus should be on him. And today, uh, we're going to see that the, the disciples and Jesus actually make it to the other side of the lake as Jesus promised. And over uh, the next couple of weeks, we're not only going to see Jesus's lordship and authority over difficulties like we saw in the storm, but over demons, disease, and death. Uh, You know, those are the four uh, Ds that we see here in chapter 5 and chapter 6. We're going to see Jesus's authority and lordship over difficulties, which we saw last week, demons today, and disease and death moving forward. So let's go ahead and just jump in here today. Verse 1. It says this, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit or a demon. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. 
And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and the, and the country. And people came to see what is it that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him and everyone marveled. Let's pray. Jesus, you have authority over our difficulties. Jesus, you have authority over demons, over the spiritual areas, spiritual realm. And God, I pray that today you would allow us to see that we are at war in a spiritual battle for our souls and for our lives. But God, I pray today that you would also allow us to see who you are, your power, your authority, your love for us in this passage. God, maybe we come today afflicted with difficulties. Maybe even some of us, God, lately we've been oppressed or influenced by the evil spiritual realm. Some of us don't even know. God, I pray that today you would set us free the freedom that you give, the freedom that you offer, the freedom that is available in you, Jesus. May we focus these next few minutes on you, on your word, and on what you have to say for our lives, God. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. When I was in Bible college, uh, I took a systematic theology class. And it was one of my favorite classes to take. And I remember in my undergrad, we finally got to the point in the textbook uh, that talked about demons. Uh, and so the professor, I remember him saying, okay, I, I, we're going to talk about demons. But before we talk about demons, about what the scriptures say about demons, I actually want to play an audio clip of, uh, of, of someone who was demon-possessed. Uh, it it's a real-life thing that the... the the pastor was part of that situation, 
And I remember him telling the class, hey, if you don't feel comfortable, um, it's okay to leave because it's, it's, it's pretty intense. And so I'm like, I ain't leaving. I want to hear what this sounds like. I don't know about you, but I'm just curious like that. I don't care how scary it is. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. And so he played this audio clip about a minute. He played this audio clip of a person who was demon-possessed. And boy, was it the scariest thing that I have ever heard in my entire life. Uh, my, I got these like chills in my body, like I got kind of weak and, and kind of pale. Like it was this powerful voice that I have never heard and experienced ever in my life. I can't imagine what it would have been like to actually be present when something like that uh, happened. And so over the years, even before uh, going to undergrad, I have witnessed certain things uh, in, the, in the spiritual realm that I'm like, man, I'm a believer in demons. I'm a believer in this, these spiritual, powerful beings. What's very interesting is that obviously Satan knows that we're preaching on demons. And uh, to this week, uh, very interesting, some weird things started happening at my house because the enemy is not happy that we are exposing him here on Sunday morning. It is a very, very real thing. I don't know where you land. Like, I don't know where you are in this. Maybe you're like, yeah, I don't believe it, or maybe I do believe it, or I'm not sure what to believe. But a lot of us usually fall into two camps. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, says this in his book, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Essentially, what C.S. Lewis is saying is that when it comes to demons, a lot of the times we either don't believe it or we either are so obsessed with it or overbelieve it, and the demons want us to do that. They, if, they don't, if, we, if we don't believe it, they're going to be like, man, they don't believe it. We could you know, bring spiritual oppression upon their life. And they actually like the fact and agree with the fact that many of us don't believe in the spiritual realm. They'll take advantage of that mentality. Or on the other hand, if someone is obsessive with it or, you know, completely is into that, man, that gives them more fuel to keep those people chained up in that lifestyle. And so, like I said, I don't know where you stand. I don't know where you stand uh, here today, but we're going to look at the scriptures we're going to look at the scriptures, what the scriptures really have to say about demons uh, and about Jesus's role and our role with demons today. I mean, just think about our culture as well. I mean, think about how many demonic movies over the years have come out, right? Like a bunch of those movies. I don't watch it because I'm a little scared. I'm a little scaredy cat. I don't care. Um, but man, they're just scared. They're just scary movies. But man, our culture is obsessed with this. But I think it's very rare that we actually tackle it from a biblical 
perspective. And that's what we're going to do today. My hope today is that you would leave today with a better understanding of demons, a better understanding of of who Jesus is in relation to demons today. Now, here's what I want you to see. There's three things in this passage that I really want you to see. The first is this. I want you to notice this. I want you to notice the man's desperation. This this desperate, desperate man. I I want you to notice his desperation. So Jesus gets out of the boat with his disciples, right? He he promised them that they were going to get across to the other side. He gets out of the boat and immediately, right? Like Jesus never gets any breaks. He gets approached by a man with a demon, with an unclean spirit, Mark tells us here. Now, I just want to hit pause for just a second. And I want to give you some basic quick things like on demons and demonology. I got like 10 things here. And I'll kind of go through them kind of quick. Um, But the first is this, that demons are real and dangerous. Demons are real and dangerous. Two, demons can make themselves known through people and enter people. Three, demons are fallen beings and are also powerful. They're powerful spiritual beings. Uh, Number four, demons can inflict serious injury to a person, psychological, emotional, and even physical injury in a person's life with the point of death. Number five, demons can be transferred or moved from one person to the other, from one host to the other. Number six, Demons can resist leaving the person that they have entered. Number seven, demons recognize spiritual authority. Like demons are smart. They recognize who's a believer. They recognize who is in Christ. They recognize their rank, right, or or where they're at in the totem pole when it comes to Christ and his followers. Number eight, demons will resist. They will resist people. Number nine, uh, Jesus spoke directly to demons. Uh, He didn't beat around the bush. He spoke directly to them, which maybe gives us a pattern if we ever come across that situation. And number 10, uh, Jesus didn't use magic or incantations or anything like that. Uh, He simply gave them an order to leave that body and commanded that spirit to come out. One of the questions I always get when it comes to demons is this. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Can a Christian be demon-possessed? And I would say no. That a Christian, someone who is truly in Christ, cannot be demon-possessed. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says that sin shall have no dominion or power over our lives. Now, That doesn't mean that a Christian can't be spiritually oppressed, meaning being attacked or influenced by a demon. They can never be fully possessed, right? Like a demon can't enter a believer's body or sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit, but we can be influenced or attacked by the spiritual evil realm. Now, Let's continue to see this man's, unpause, let's go back to the text. Let's continue to see this man's desperation here. Mark tells us in verse 3, look at your 
Bibles. He says that he lived among the tombs. So there's this demon-possessed man, and he's living among these caves along the mountain with, with their, their tombs, their, their caves. Uh, and so he would live there. Now, why does this matter? Because this man was an outcast. He was isolated. He was not in community with other people. So he's demon-possessed. He's being tormented day and night. Then he's isolated. He's an outcast. There's no community around there living by himself in the tombs. And that's what the enemy likes to do, right, church? He likes to isolate people. Have you ever noticed that? That the, the enemy doesn't want you in community. The enemy doesn't want you and I in community. And I truly believe that in 2020, this past year, man, the enemy was having a heyday in people's lives. If I could just separate them from the church, then boy, I got them where I want them. He always tries to isolate, always tries to isolate. And so this man, he's being tormented by demons. He's being isolated by the enemy. And Mark tells us that no one had the strength to subdue this man here in verse 4. I mean, he was constantly breaking chains. He was that strong. I kind of think of the Hulk when I think of this guy. Like he was just ripping chains apart. Why? Because he was a threat to people, right? Like he was a threat to people. So they tried to keep him chained up and away from others. And not only was he a threat to people, but Mark tells us that he was a threat to himself. Look at verse five. Mark says that he was always crying out, and cutting himself. Think about that. He's demon-possessed. He's hurting people. He's isolated. And then he is hurting himself. Many scholars and theologians believe that this is essentially a suicide attempt. That's what, it, that's what this is. That he's trying to end his pain. He's trying to end his misery. He's desperate. And he's being influenced by the demon in him to take his own life. How desperate he is. And so church, this is a reminder. It's a sober reminder that the enemy is out to just wreck your life. First Peter chapter 5 verse 8. Be sober minded. Be watchful. He's essentially saying be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, have, that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, the devil is not someone who is in this like super, super tight like suit with little red horns and, and a big old pointy red tail like our culture pictures him. That's not who he is. He's a real, powerful, spiritual being that wants to kill and destroy you. You get that? He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your hope. He wants to kill your relationship. He wants to kill your marriage. Do you get that? He wants to kill you. That's who he is. He wants to keep you chained up. In a moment of desperation, 
this man comes to Jesus. This man is desperate while Satan is just destroying his life. But, but then he meets Jesus. But then you met Jesus, remember? Everything changes when we meet Jesus. Everything changes when we have an encounter with Christ, doesn't it? Notice the second thing, the deliverance. So he's desperate, but look at his deliverance here. Look at his deliverance. So he approaches Jesus, and he quickly says to Jesus, he falls at his feet, he falls at his feet, and not in an act of worship. It's an act of submission because the demon knew who Jesus was. The demon knew his authority. And so he falls at Jesus' feet. He ran and saw him, and he says, What have you to do with me, son of the most high God? Essentially, what the demon was saying to Jesus, hey, what are you doing here? Of my business, you have no business doing here. Doing, you have no business here. Now, I want you to notice something very important here. The demons knew exactly who Jesus was. Do you remember what the disciples said last week after he calmed the storm? Who then is this? Like Jesus was in the boat with them. They had no idea who Jesus was, right? And they've already spent some time with him. But the demons knew exactly who Jesus was. Exactly. They said, hey, you're, you're Jesus. You're the son of the true God. And they started begging Jesus. In verse 7, look what it says. In verse 7, the demons started saying, I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. What does that mean? What, what, what does that mean? I have jury by God, don't torment me. Like, what does that mean? What are, they, what are they trying to get at? Essentially, here's what they're saying. They're saying, look, we know that there will come a time where we're going to be destroyed. Like, we know that judgment is upon us. But Jesus, like, you showed up a little too early. So God, we know God's going to destroy us. But how about you, you kind of cut us some slack here? Like you kind of jumped the gun a little bit, Jesus. Give us some slack and, and instead send us out into the pigs because we don't want to get destroyed. So they're basically pleading on behalf of God. Hey, he's going to destroy us, but not yet. It's a little too early for us. That's what they're saying here. And notice what Jesus says. Jesus actually, in verse 9, he says, what is your name? He talks to the demon. What is your name? And the demon says, my name is Legion. And this is very interesting because in the Roman army, a legion was a, a, a group of 6,000 army soldiers. That's what a legion was uh, in the Roman army, 6,000 military soldiers. And so what this is saying to us, maybe it's not necessarily saying that there are 6,000 demons in the man, but there are a lot of demons in the man. Like, there are many demons in this man. And so they had a strange request to Jesus. Hey, send us to the pigs. Like, don't, don't destroy us yet, but send us into the pigs, please. And so Jesus, what he does, Mark tells us here, that they came out of the man, all of those demons, and entered the pigs. They came out of the man. Jesus had delivered 
this man who had thousands of demons probably in him, who had been isolated with no community, who had been trying to take his own life and hurt others. He was miserable and desperate, yet this man came into an encounter with Jesus and Jesus delivered him. Here we see the power of Christ, the power of Jesus over demons. There were many demons, but there was one Christ. You only need one Jesus. There were many people who couldn't restrain this man because of the demons. But one Jesus could restrain this man with the power of his word. He broke many chains. Man, Jesus transformed this guy from the inside out. This was a display of Jesus' power and authority. And not only that, but his love, his compassion to not leave him where he was. So many of you know, especially if you've encountered Jesus before, he doesn't leave you where he found you. Amen. You're different because of him. He transforms you from the inside out. Jesus delivered this man. And guess what happened next? The demons exited this man. They came out of this man and they entered the pigs. Mark tells us there was about 2,000 pigs there. That's a lot of pigs. And, and the demons went into the pigs. And the, when, when the demons went into the pigs, these 2,000 pigs essentially jumped off a cliff and died in the sea. Now, I don't know what you thought when you first heard the story. The very first thing I thought was, man, that's a waste of bacon. <laughs> that's a waste of bacon, man. Any bacon lovers in here? Come on now. I'm like 2,000 pigs. You know how much bacon that is? Come on. Jesus wasting bacon over here. Jeez. So they jumped off cliff you know when pigs fly that was supposed to be a joke third thing third and last thing devotion look at the man's devotion after he is delivered from his desperate situation look at his devotion here's what happens in verse 15 the, 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 the people that saw this, they, they went to go tell others, hey, you got to check this out, man. This Jesus guy literally just casts this, these demons out of this man, the man that you all know, the crazy guy, sent them into the pigs, and the pigs just jumped off the cliff. You got to come meet this guy. So the, the, these, these, these herdsmen told all the people, and then the people came to check it out for themselves. And when they saw the man, can you, you imagine how amazed they were when they saw the man? I mean, they knew who this guy was, right? They knew exactly who this guy was. The man that was once crying and cutting himself is now calm, cool, and collected. The man that was once controlled by demons is now in control of himself. The man that was once running around naked, tearing off his clothes, is now clothed. The man that was once isolated in, in, and not in community is now surrounded by Jesus and his disciples in community. Can you imagine what the people thought? Like, is that the, is that the same guy? Is that truly him? 
interesting in verse 17. This is so important. So important. That people started telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, actually, we don't want you here. We don't want you here, Jesus. Would you depart from us? The people in the town said, hey, Jesus, would you just leave us alone? We don't need you here. They actually begged him to depart. They begged Jesus to leave. What's interesting is that most scholars and commentators say that the reason why people were telling Jesus to leave was because they disrupted their peaceful lives. That Jesus disrupted their peaceful lives. That Jesus came in and caused them financial loss. Think about it, though. 2,000 pigs, even today, is a big loss. Could you imagine back then the loss that these people had? And so these commentators were saying that people (laughs) begged Jesus to leave because when Jesus comes into our lives, he shakes things up. You see, everybody wants to follow Jesus until it costs you something. Everybody wants to follow Jesus when it's easy. Everybody wants to follow Jesus when things are good. But when Jesus asks you for something, when it costs you something, relationships, finances, boy, that's when we'll know if you truly follow Christ. And so the townspeople were saying, man, just leave. Leave us alone. See, the kingdom of God does not bring a comfortable life for the status quo, church, but rather the radical transformation of individuals through the society. Kingdom of God. Now notice the the response of the guy, of this man. So the towns tell him, hey, Jesus, please leave. But what does this man do? Jesus, let me go with you. Let me go with you. He begged him, hey, let me be there with you. Let me get on the boat and go. He begged Jesus to be with him. Why? Because he experienced wholeness and healing. Complete wholeness, complete healing, complete deliverance, complete freedom. The only freedom that Jesus could offer. And he begged Jesus, hey, let me go with you. What does Jesus say? I'm sorry. Like, you can't come with me, right? You can't come with me. But he says, hey, you know what, though? Because you've been transformed, because I've just changed your life, go and tell other people. Go and tell others. Go to your friends. Go go and tell other people what the Lord has done for you. You see, the The people thought that when Jesus left, he completely left, but that wasn't true. Jesus left this man with them to preach the gospel to them. Jesus never left the people. Why? Because he left that man there to go out and proclaim what Jesus has done for him, to proclaim the gospel. And what does the man do? He doesn't hesitate. Did you notice that? The man doesn't hesitate and he says, okay, Jesus, well, let me think about it. I need to take a couple of classes on evangelism first, and then I'm pretty good. Let me take some theology classes. Let me take some apologetics classes so that when they ask me questions, I know how to answer. No, no, no. Without hesitation, 
he goes and proclaims what Jesus has done for him. He was devoted to Jesus because he was delivered from his desperate situation. Devotion to Christ. And so church, if I could just wrap this message up today, very simply put, it's this, that Satan destroys, but Jesus delivers. That's it. Simple, clean, clear. Satan destroys. Jesus delivers. Satan is out to destroy you. He is a real person. Him and his crew are out to get you and your family and your kids. He destroys. He destroys. But Christ delivers. But Christ has power. But Christ gives us hope and strength and endurance to fight off the enemy. He delivers. He gives freedom. True freedom, not not the freedom that the world gives, not that fake stuff, but true deliverance, true freedom. So what does this mean for us then, church? If this is true, if this is true, if it is true that Satan destroys and Jesus delivers, so what does that mean to us? Two quick things. Number one, you got to be on guard. You got to be on guard. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through uh, 20, finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle with people. Our fight is not against people. The enemy had a heyday this past year watching people argue over stuff. He was probably on his couch, you know, with a with bag of popcorn, watching people go back and forth inside and outside of the church. That's not who our battle is with other people. Our battle is against who? Against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are in a spiritual battle. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the, in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. He's throwing darts at you. He's throwing darts at you all the time. Sometimes you don't even know it. 17, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Man, we are at war, church. Be on guard. Be on guard. He's prowling around like a roaring lion just trying to destroy you. Do you notice what the only offensive weapon in this passage was? This. Everything else is a defensive armor to protect you. The only offensive weapon that we have in this passage is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. 
if you find yourself losing a spiritual battle, ask yourself, am I fighting with the sword of the Spirit, with the Word of God, or am I trying to fight off the devil in my own strength, in my own power, because, hey, you know what? That ain't going to work. That's not going to work. Be on guard. Number two, go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell. Let, let me ask you this. How much has the Lord done for you? How much has he done for you? How has God been merciful to you? You see, Jesus told the demon-possessed man, former demon-possessed man, he said, hey, go and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you. Go and tell them how he delivered you. Church, what has God done for you? How has he shown mercy upon your life? How has he provided when you didn't have anything? Rescued you when you were in danger? Has he delivered you from things? Depression, anxiety, sinful habits? Alcohol, drugs, has he delivered you before? Most importantly, if you are in Christ, let me remind you that Jesus delivered you from sin, from the eternal consequences and punishment of sin. When you repented and placed your faith in Christ, he delivered you. He gave you freedom. Chains were broken. Satan's power over you was gone. He delivered you. He delivered us. And his deliverance, church, upon our lives requires our devotion. I'm gonna say that again, I need you to get this. That his deliverance upon our lives requires our devotion. This, this passage isn't just a cool passage about demons and all this stuff. This passage is calling for a verdict. This passage is calling for a response. How will you respond? There are only two types of people in this world. You're either in Christ or you're not. And if you've been delivered by Christ, and if you are in Christ, truly in Christ, your calling, our calling, my calling, is to be devoted to Jesus and to go tell everyone, to shout it from the rooftops, to proclaim what he has done in our lives. If you're not in Christ, there's hope for you. There's true healing, true deliverance, true freedom, true joy, true hope. 
in Christ. Freedom. We're set free by Jesus. Only two types of people in this world. Are you in or are you out? I, I love the last song we were singing. By the way, we don't sing here at church just because that's what we do. Like, we don't simply just worship God and, and, and sing songs just because everyone else does it or because it's just a routine. We sing because he is worthy of our worship. We sing because it's how we thank God for how good he is to us. We sing with a purpose. I wrote this down while I was sitting there. Death has lost its grip on me. Death has lost its grip on me. How? Through the power of Jesus. Through the deliverance of Christ. And if you are not in Christ, Jesus says, hey, come to me and I won't reject you. I'm waiting like this with arms wide open to love you, to care for you. He's not, Jesus is not standing there with his finger like this. Shame on you. He's calling you to him. To love you. To have a relationship with you. How? How do we have that relationship with Christ? Repent of your sin. You place your faith in Jesus. Let's pray. God, you deliver you deliver. You deliver us from sin, from eternal death. You deliver us from depression, from anxiety. You deliver us, God. You deliver us. You are the great deliverer. God, you are just so worthy of our worship today. God, we thank you. We thank you for the freedom that we have in you. We thank you that you did not come here to earth to destroy or to steal or to kill. You came to give life and you came to give life freely and abundantly. You came to seek and save that which was lost. You came looking for that one sheep. And God, we're forever grateful. If we are in you, may you cause in us a spirit of passion and devotion to proclaim from the rooftops how merciful and good you've been to us, how loving and caring, how you provided for us. When we didn't know where to go, you came and met us. You are just worthy of our worship. And God, we adore you. We exalt you. And we magnify your name. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. 
Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.